Lord God, we we uh, just praise your name. Sometimes I feel like I just don't deserve the Lord. I don't deserve his goodness. I don't deserve his grace. And yet, that is the whole point, that he has brought us into reconciliation. He has brought us into justification so that we do deserve the grace of God simply because he gave his mercy and grace to us. I know it sounds like a paradox. Praise God. Is it, somebody give me a thumbs up. Somebody give me a hand wave if you can hear what I'm saying. Praise God. Oh, you know, it's, I was dwelling upon this earlier today. You know, just the fact that the Almighty God, he, first of all, He's, he's Almighty. Uh, he's all-powerful. He's everywhere at once. He's eternal. He's in, immortal. He, he knows everything. He created this entire reality that we, we live in. And uh, <laughs> he created us to love him. He created us to be a companion to him, a bride to him. And he went so far as to allow us to go into sin in order for him to be able to save us, for, in order for us to be able to choose him above all else he allowed us to go into a place where we do not deserve the goodness of God and I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand I'm just going to tell you I understand that there are those of us maybe not all of us certainly not all of us but there are those of us right here on this zoom meeting tonight that still that still deal with um a feeling of unworthiness, a feeling of, does God really love me? Does He really love me like He says He does? Am I really worthy of His grace? Am I worthy of His mercy? Well, if you have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that that is your earnest of your inheritance. That is proof to you, to yourself, that you are worthy, that God has made you worthy. He's made you to deserve it. So even though it sounds a little weird, the fact that he gave us His grace. It, it, it not only proves that we deserve His grace, but it's the fact of giving the grace at all that makes us worthy of His grace. And it's only God can do that. Humans can't do that because if we feel someone is not worthy of our attention, what do we do? We don't give them our attention. If we feel like someone is not worthy of our help, we don't give them our help. If, if they're not worthy of our money or time or effort or anything, we don't give them our time and money and effort. But God, even though while we were yet sinners, Christ commended his love towards us. When we were in a place where you could never make the argument that we deserved his grace, that we deserved his mercy, he gave it to us. Now we've heard this from several men of God down through the years uh, where you know they describe the difference between grace and mercy. And uh, this was not an original revelation with me, but I certainly have tucked it away into that, that mental file in, in, in my spirit of uh, awesome revelations from God. And, and that's simply this, that mercy is that aspect of God where he withheld what we deserved, which was death and hell. He withheld that from us, and that's the mercy of God. The mercy of God is to not give us what we absolutely deserve. And the grace of God is, is really just the other side of that coin. It's when we don't deserve God, He gives it to us anyway, and that's the grace of God. Now, we commonly refer to grace as uh, unmerited favor. We commonly do that an acronym of grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I learned that when I was uh, studying uh, in the Baptist school years ago. Uh, we, we heard that one a lot. And those are really good and truthful statements. The word grace itself means a gratuity or a dispensing, a passing out of something. So it's God's grace. He gave us something. We know according to Ephesians chapter 2 that this grace is free. It's not earned. It's not worked for. But when we get this grace, it causes a quality of life to enter into our being that we are now into that place of ordination where we are now his workmen created unto good works. Praise God. Somebody raise your hand and just thank the Lord for a minute here. I thank you, Lord God, for the grace 
and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thank you, mighty God, for your grace and mercy. Lord, as simple as that is, help us to never forget or to remember your grace and mercy. Hallelujah, Lord God, where you withheld what we deserve and you gave what we didn't deserve. And when you gave what we didn't deserve, you caused us to come into a position in you where we absolutely are reconciled, justified, and deserving of your operation, your love, your attention, your approval. And I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. That wasn't tonight's word. That was just a bonus. Praise God. <laughs> that was a bonus. So we're, we're going to jump right into the Word here tonight. I'd like you to turn to Psalm 61. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to jump right into uh, the Word. I know it's a little bit harder to stay on track uh, when we're behind a camera or when we're behind a screen, but I'm going to ask you to uh, just do your best, pay attention. If I start putting you to sleep, um, one thing that works real well on me is I, I tug the side uh, of the hair right in front of my ear here. That, that you know, I tug on that, just tug it straight up, and that helps wake me up real good. You know, th throw a, a little bit of cold water in your face, but in the name of Jesus, uh, we proclaim that we're not going to bore anybody to sleep tonight, that we are going to deliver the Word of God. Lord God, let this uh, vessel of clay deliver the Almighty Word of God. Help us to be alert and aware and to receive it into our spirit. And you just pray that over yourself for a minute. Lord God, help me to receive this Word into my spirit, not just into my ears, but into my spirit, Lord God. Not just into my mind, my heart, but into my spirit, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. We are looking at Psalm 61. We're just going to read through this. I am reading in the King James Version. As usual, uh, I'm seeing uh, some on there uh, on here that I'm, I, I don't know. Maybe oh, maybe this is oh, okay. This is probably Sister Esther's friend. Praise God. Good to have you tonight. Uh, so we're we're using the King James version. This is a this is an older uh, version, kind of antiquated English, but uh, we'll explain as we go along. Hear my cry, O God. Attend uh, to my prayer. Now. <laughs> Uh, without descending into some sort of a language lesson here, I'll, uh, I'll try to make it brief and just say this. This is in the demonstrative. This, this is uh, very imperative. You know, this is a man, as we see in the inscription to the chief musician upon uh, Nagina, a psalm of David. We have a, a reference here that uh, at least the ancients believed that this was a psalm of David. I have no reason to doubt that, so we're going to go ahead and say this is King David himself that has written this song, this psalm. Uh, it's very possible he even wrote the music to it as well as the words. And uh, he, as a mere man, a man who also, as far as I know, wrote Psalm 8, uh, in which he says, what is man? <laughs> what is man? Who, who am I that you would even pay a Attention to me, O God. He says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Now that word angels gets translated into the King James from a word in Hebrew that is Elohim. And most of you probably know Elohim is the word that is most commonly used for the general word for God. It can mean false gods. But it most commonly refers to the one true God as well. It's not the name of God. It's just the word that refers to the authority of the universe. And King David in that passage is saying, You have made us a little lower, not just the angels, a little lower than God himself. As he's talking to God. Now this same man, in a different time in his life, is actually giving a command to God. Now, I'm not going to try to sell that to you very strongly as if we can just go to God and just demand anything we want from Him. 
I believe this is coming from a position, as we were just talking about, a confidence, a fear of the Lord. And we're going to talk a little bit about the fear of the Lord tonight. A fear of the Lord that says, my God has saved me. My God has redeemed me. I am the Lord's and he is mine. And we're going to read some scriptures to that end later on tonight. We've got a lot of scriptures to read uh, so please don't let it bog you down. We, are, we do not read a lot of scriptures in order to turn you off. But uh, the more word that goes into us, the more faith that gets built, the more belief and the more power of God comes out of our life. And so we like to always give you a good infusion of the word every time we get together. But this man, coming from, I believe, a position of confidence, a position of the fear of the Lord, because the fear of the Lord is strong confidence in earnest expectation and hope before the Lord in in total humility before God he's coming before him with the attitude of I am your servant I am your man I am uh, the one one that is in love with you and I know that you hear me and I know that you have me and I know that you help me and in that attitude he's not just demanding God hey Lord I'm having all kinds of trouble you better get down here and help me I don't believe that's the attitude at all. I believe he's saying from the position of the fear of the Lord, hear me because I'm crying out in need and I know that when I have a need, you are my ever-present help in time of trouble. So once again, verse number one, he says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. He's saying it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter. I mean, really, we know we live on a globe. So where's the end of the earth? Is that the North Pole, South Pole? Is that, uh, there, there is no point where you can get as far east as you can. So that can't be the end of the earth. The end of the earth could be all the way up to the sea, uh, all the way down to the sea, you know, or all the way up to a mountain range that you can't pass any further. And this, when we see this expression in Hebrew, the end of the earth, these are the ideas that get brought to us. These are the understandings that get brought to us out of the idioms of the Hebrew language where you're at a place where you can't go any further. You have uh, taken, a, uh, taken a trip and you've gone all the way to the edge of the cliff and you just can't go anymore. You have, you have come to the Red Sea, if you will, and you can't go forward and you can't go up, you can't go down, you can't go back because of the Egyptian army. You've gone to the end of the earth, as, end, as far as you can go. And he's saying, I'll cry unto you even here. And we know that Moses cried unto God even there, and a way was made where there was no way. But he goes on in verse 2 to say, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now, to me, this is a very uh, interesting expression. We talked briefly about this on Sunday. This was a word that was delivered to me from uh, Brother Jeffers. And uh, But the Lord has been expanding upon it in my spirit the last few days since Sunday. And the expression, the rock that is higher than I, uh, you'll notice that in your King James Version anyway, that the word that is in italics, which is not in the original language. Uh, the Young's literal translation says something like this, lead me to that higher rock. Lead me to the rock which is high. And the word which is not in there either, but that high rock. You know, and when we, when we talk about the rock, I, I can't help but think about that rock that was in the wilderness. You don't have to turn there with me. Stay in Psalm 61, if you will. But I'm going to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this, Paul is talking to the Corinthian people. He said, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Um, figuratively, I want you to read that as spirit and water. According to John chapter 3, you must be born of the water and the spirit to, to enter the kingdom of heaven, to see the kingdom of heaven. Verse number 2 says, And all were baptized unto Moses. It did not say in Moses' name. It said unto Moses. They were baptized 
by the uh, working of God through the man of God in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and all did drink the same spiritual drink. And so I feel perfectly confident here talking about the cloud as the spirit and the sea as water baptism because even Paul is saying we're talking about spiritual meat and spiritual drink. We talked a lot about that on Sunday, so we won't rehash that. For um, they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. And so back to Psalm 61, David being... Uh, being anointed of God, uh, being a messianic prophet, if you will, uh, a man who knew that Messiah, I believe, would come through his lineage. We see that in Psalm 110. He said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And I believe King David, if he didn't know it before, he would have known it afterwards. He would have known it later that the Lord had promised him a house and promised him a, a lineage and that his lineage would, would sit in Jerusalem forever. Now we know the kings of Jerusalem, or kings of Israel, are not sitting as kings in Jerusalem today, but we also know there's coming a day where, they, where the Lord Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of that line, will reign forever uh, in Jerusalem, and then later in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, and the new earth. So he says, when my heart is overwhelmed, it doesn't matter if I've come to the end of the earth. I've come as far as I can come. I can't go any further. All my power is taken out. And the word that was delivered unto me last, last Sunday, Saturday, and Sunday is, is simply this. The Lord is allowing us to come to the end of the earth. He's allowing us to get to a place where we are overwhelmed so that we will cry unto him with great confidence that he's going to hear us. He goes on to say, For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert or the covering of your wings. And that reminds us of Psalm 91, as we mentioned earlier, Psalm 91. Uh, you can write that down in your notes if you're writing notes. Read Psalm 91 again. Proclaim Psalm 91 again over your life, over your family. Praise God, over the body of Christ. We have an admonition to stop and reflect there, but we're going to move on. Verse number 5. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Praise you, Jesus. For thou, O God, has heard my vows. Where is David's confidence coming from? The fact that he has vowed unto God and that he has kept his vows. He's kept his heart before the Lord. He's kept his obedience before the Lord. Is he a perfect man? No, we know that. Is he, is he all the way righteous in every regard? No, we know that. He is a man. He is a flesh and blood man with a sin nature, and he made, he made at least a few mistakes. But, at the same time, he understands where his righteousness comes from. His righteousness comes from God, and he has made some agreements with God, and he has kept those agreements before God, and it's giving him the fear of the Lord. And he says, it goes so far as to say, that Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life. Now he, he's coming into that place where he's just telling God what to do again. He started off by saying, you listen to me, Lord, and you, you do what I'm asking you to do. But again, don't read it as some arrogant prayer where we can just point our fingers to heaven and tell God what he's going to do for us. No, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. He, it's coming from a position of, I know who saved me. I know who's helped me. I know how wrong I am. But I also know how good God is. And I know that when I'm in His righteousness, I can speak to God as a friend. And I can say, Lord God, because you hear the voice of the righteous, I know that if I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear me. I don't know if it was King David that said that line, but we find that also in the Psalms, that it says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you won't hear me. We also know that it is King David that said, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen his seed 
begging bread. And now, based on these kind of ideas, he says, you have given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. My heritage goes back to those that fear his name. It goes back to uh, his father Judah, his father Jacob, his father Isaac, his father Abraham, men of God who feared the Lord, men who definitely had their problems, men who were liars and deceivers, uh, men who were at times adulterers and fornicators, men who just got a lot of things wrong, and yet they knew the righteousness of God, and they operated in the righteousness of God. And he says, my heritage is of those who fear the Lord, and this has come down through my line, and illegitimacy through my father Judah has come down my generations, but I am the tenth generation from Judah, and I can enter into the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. He says earlier, he says, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. Uh, tabernacle means temporary dwelling. He could have said temple, but there was no temple yet. <laughs> In David's day, there was no temple. We know it was his son who built that temple after he died. And so he said, temporary dwelling. I'm going to dwell in this house of the Lord. I can go in. I can go to that temple. I can make my sacrifice. My father couldn't. My grandfather couldn't. All, all the way back to Pharaoh's, they couldn't. But I can go in. Praise you, Jesus. Let's just take a little praise break here. Lord God, I love you. I thank you, mighty God. I thank you, Lord God, that you have given us a heritage of those that fear your name. Lord God, not a natural heritage, but a spiritual heritage. You being our Father, and those men and women of God that have come down through the ages, full of the Holy Ghost, baptized in your name, washed clean of their sins, who have brought us into this great and glorious gospel of truth. Lord God, we, we claim our heritage of those who fear your name, O oh God. Verse number 6 goes on to say, Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He's simply proclaiming, I know, I know the Lord is going to prolong my life. His years as many generations. Verse 7, He shall abide before God forever. O oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. Sometimes it's, it's not arrogance. It's not presumption. It's the fear of the Lord which gives us the righteousness and, uh, the, sorry, the boldness of righteousness. The righteous shall be as bold as a lion. Amen? And it sometimes it, it, this fear of the Lord will bring us into a place where we are just bold enough to say, I know you're going to preserve my life. I know that I'm going to abide before you forever. I know that you're preparing mercy and truth right now, and I know that's the very reason. There's been times where I've said, I'm not planning on being lost. I'm not planning on going to hell. I am going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus. Is that based on my righteousness? Is it based on arrogance or presumption? No, it is not. Is it based on the fact that I think I have all the best doctrines and I have all the best truth and, and I'm the most, you know, I'm the biggest and best truth preacher in the world? No, it's not based on any of those things. It's based on the fact that God has told me, you're my son, you're my child. I have I have saved you. I have brought you out of darkness. I have put you in my marvelous light. I took you from the pit, and I put you in a stable place. And because of all these things, I can look at the Lord and say, I know you're going to preserve my life because I live my life to you. I know that you've heard my vows, and you've given me the strength to, uh, to keep them. So he goes on, last verse, So I will sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform thy my vows. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever, that I may daily perform my vows. How is he so confident that the Lord has heard his vows? Because he's confident in the living God that's helping him to keep them. So that's he's saying right here, one of the reasons why I praise the reason why I sing praise unto your name is so that I can do what's right, so I can get into the presence of God and get strengthened in the joy of the Holy Ghost to keep doing what is right. And 
This is an awesome psalm when it comes to those overwhelming times. When it comes to those times where we are just... Turn with me to Isaiah 59. When it comes to those times where we feel like our back's up against the wall, we can take example from King Hezekiah, you know, and we can turn our face to the wall. We can actually turn our face into the thing that's blocking us. We can actually turn our attention into the stopgap, if you will. We can turn our attention uh, to that stone that's keeping us down. And as we've mentioned many times in the past, Jesus, and this is a good time of the year to talk about these things, Jesus did not wait for the stone to be removed to be resurrected. He resurrected through the stone, and then it got resurrected. When they went in there to see where Jesus was, he's already gone. He was already gone. He wasn't in there anymore. But we're looking at Isaiah 59, and I'm going to look at verse number 10, uh, starting there, but as, as a little bit of a preamble. Um, if you think the book of Isaiah is fun to read, think again. It's not very fun to read. Uh, starting off in chapter 1, Isaiah just starts... Obviously, this is by the behest of the Lord, the unction and anointing of the Holy Ghost. We see that Isaiah just starts blasting people. So the verses that we know best out of chapter 1 of Isaiah is, Though our sins be as scarlet, he'll make us white as snow. <laughs> we know those verses best. We know the verses that say, If you be willing and obedient, you'll taste the good of the land. We know those verses. All the rest of the verses of chapter 1, we don't like to remember so well because they're not really fun to read. And you start reading most of this book, uh, Isaiah, and just the boldness of a prophet just lets it loose. He lets it loose. And chapter 59 has some juicy bits in it. But we're wanting to focus in on the latter portion. But I want to go back as far as verse number 10, and I'm going to read down a ways. I'm going to try not to comment as much as I commented on um, Psalm 61, but uh, let's move into, this is Isaiah 59, we're looking at verse 10, we grope for the wall like a blind man, oh sorry, like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes, we stumble at noonday as in the night, we are in desolate places as dead men. Now, again, we're not going to go to the passages here in Isaiah, but you can read both in the, the Second Kings and also here in the book of Isaiah. You can read the story of Hezekiah where this prophet right here, Isaiah the son of Amos, he went into his bedchamber and said, the Lord says you're going to die. And uh, I don't know what kind of man Isaiah was, but he basically just came in, dropped a bomb, dropped the mic, turned around, walked out. And that's just, that's all he did. Hezekiah, well, that's all we have recorded anyway. We don't exactly know how it went down. But uh, Hezekiah, he turned his face to the wall. He turned his face to where his back was up against. He turned his face to that obstruction. And he simply began to cry out to God, Lord, I've lived righteous before you. Um, Hezekiah's dad was not a righteous man. Hezekiah, in, in the days of Ahaz, Hezekiah's dad we see that wonderful prophecy also mentioned in the book of Isaiah. For a virgin shall conceive, right? A young maiden will conceive. That was during the days of Ahaz that that prophecy came forward by this prophet right here, Isaiah. But Ahaz himself was a wicked man. He was a wicked man. But his wife, oh, thank you, Jesus. His wife was a righteous woman of God. And she raised her son Hezekiah to be a man after the Lord's own heart. And so when Hezekiah became king, he was a king like his father David. That's what it says in the books of the kings. He, had, he, he, he worshipped the Lord like his father David did. And he took down many of the, the, the pagan and idolatrous places. He didn't do it all. He didn't do it perfectly. He didn't do it as thoroughly as other guys like Josiah and, and maybe some of the others, but he did well and he he uh, he served God. Somewhere down near the end of his life, he did make some mistakes, but here uh, in, in the part that I'm talking about, Isaiah walks right into his room, says, you're going to die. He turns his face against the wall and says, Lord, I've lived righteously before you. 
I've served you all the days of my life. And before Isaiah could leave the palace, he had to turn back around and tell him he had another 15 years of life. And uh, this same Isaiah, and I, I would imagine around the same time of his life that he gave that, that prophecy to Hezekiah and then rescinded it. It's not that God changes his mind, but there is a preceding word from God. And that comes by the Spirit, that preceding word. God doesn't change his mind. He knew the plan all along. He knew the trigger that it would take to get Hezekiah to turn his face to the wall and say, Lord, I need your help. I'm completely overwhelmed. It's, you know, because I think there was a part in Hezekiah's heart that he knew it wasn't his time. It shouldn't be right. Why should the devil win? Why should a righteous king go out of the land? And we know that Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, was also a wicked man. And so he had 15 more years. And as we've mentioned before, it was Manasseh, according to Jewish historical sources, that killed Isaiah. So when Isaiah was prophesying another 15 years for Hezekiah, he was prophesying another 15 years for himself. Because by this time, he would have been an elderly man. He, he prophesied during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, during the lives of four different kings. And it was that last wicked king, Manasseh, that we are told, not biblically, but extra-biblically, we're told that Manasseh killed him literally, he prophesied another 15 years for himself when he prophesied. So uh, imagine the guts it took for that man of God to go into the king's chamber and said, you're going to die and I'm probably going to die too. But he did it. But it was Hezekiah that cried. It was the king. Uh, just like King David said, he says, you will preserve the king's life. Hallelujah. How many is a king and a priest under the Lord their God? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. You know, I know, I know I'm looking at some ladies on here, but we are royal priesthoods. Amen. We are kings and priests under our God. We are destined to be kings and priests under God. We are destined to rule in His name. And we are destined to be mediators uh, for the covenant of Jesus Christ, the renewed covenant in His blood. I'm getting excited. Another praise break. Lord God, thank you, Jesus, for preserving the king's life. Hallelujah, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. You are awesome, mighty God. You are awesome, mighty God. So, back to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 10. It says, we grope around. We're, we, 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 we grope for the wall like the blind. We're, we're up against the wall. Verse 11, we roar like uh, all like bears and mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. And of course, that's not true, but sometimes it feels like that. And I get a, an amen thumbs up. Sometimes it feels like we just don't even have salvation. We don't have Jesus. We walk in this walk. We operate, we pray, we read our Bibles, we do our best to live righteously, we do our best to live according to God's promises. We give our vows to God and we, we get help from Him when we're praising Him and we get into that strength of the Holy Ghost to praise the living God. And there's some days that just comes upon us that feels like Jesus is a million miles away. Or maybe even over on the next universe somewhere. But it is far from us. That's what the, the prophet's saying here under the unction of the Holy Ghost. Verse 12. He tells us why. And I don't want anybody to get offended here. But this is why. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. And as far as our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself prey. He's saying, 
It seems like everybody's going to hell in a handbasket. It seems like everybody's going away of Cain. Everybody's going away of Korah. Everybody's going away of Balaam. Everybody's looking to get money for the service of God. Everybody's looking to defy the authorities of the church. And everybody's looking to kill their brother. Everybody seems like they're just in it for themselves. And if anybody actually is trying to live righteous, they seem like they get punished. We've been talking about that the last several weeks. You know, we do suffer for Christ. We do, even as Christ suffered. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, knowing that he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Lord God help us. And the rest of that verse is, And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. But let's get into some better verses here. Verse 16, And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Does anybody remember that passage in the book of Hebrews where he says, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say, Thank you, Jesus. According to Romans 8.26, the Holy Ghost literally intercedes for us. The tongues of the Holy Ghost, uh, speaking under the direct utterance of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost prays for us. Isn't that awesome? Oh, folks, I, I wished I was seeing a little bit more excitement online here tonight. But isn't it awesome? The Holy Ghost prays for you. The Lord Jesus Christ makes intercession of you. This is a Messianic prophecy. And he saw who? God, the Almighty. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness it sustained him, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Maybe somewhere around Ephesians chapter 6. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Uh, remember that passage that David also says in the psalm, the zeal of the Lord's house has consumed me, has eaten me up. Well, he was speaking of the zeal of the Holy Ghost upon Jesus because when Jesus was turning over those money changers' tables, the zeal of his house had, had consumed him. Verse number 18, According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. Verse 19, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. And when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard. That way, that word standard, some translations say an ensign. Uh, it's, a, it's a bulwark. It's a, it's a flag. It's a symbol of, of God's own covering over us. Other translations, and if you read it out of the original language in the Hebrew, it's the idea that God is making a way to escape. Now, we, we read that in 1 Corinthians. He'll never put anything on us that we can't uh, have a way to escape. There's no temptation that, that, that will come to us that we won't find a way to escape out of it. We have the power. We have the power of the Holy Ghost to defy and even rejoice in the face of temptations. Praise God. I'm rocking a little faster because I'm getting excited. Praise God. I, I should sit down and preach more often. It feels good. Anyway, moving on. We know that verse. We, we know that verse 19 real well. 59, 19. We, if there's any other verse we've read here that you know, you definitely know 19. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a way of escape, an emblem, a covering, so that we can trust in His covert is covering over us, as King David said. He goes on to say, And the Redeemer, as someone who has bought us back, the Goel, the kinsman Redeemer, shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant, this is my agreement with them, with us, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee. Anybody have the spirit of the Lord upon you? Anybody have the Spirit of God in you? Praise you, Jesus. My Spirit, 
that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. Praise God. We claim it. We proclaim it. We declare it. We thank God for it. We rejoice in it in the name of Jesus. This is a promise to us. We've made a vow to God. We've made an agreement with God. We've made a covenant with Him. We've agreed we're going to be His people and He's going to be our God. We've agreed that He's going to be our God. He's going to tell us what to do and we're going to simply do it. And we're going to believe Him and receive His righteousness. We're going to believe on Him and receive His grace and mercy that we do not deserve. Hallelujah! We're going to praise Him so that we continue to keep our vows to Him. And we will walk in confidence and great hope so that when we're at the end of the earth and when we feel overwhelmed, we can say, Lord, listen to me and hear what I'm asking you. I know that you're going to preserve the King's life. I'd like you to turn to Malachi chapter 3. Now, I had to slip this in. I know I read this all the time. I had to slip it in one more time. I love Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. We're talking about the fear of the Lord again. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him, then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth not. So when we are reading these passages and these prophets, Malachi is also, well really not, a, not too many of these prophets are really fun to read. We like to read the prophet Jonah because he's the guy that screwed up, right? So we like the story of Jonah because we don't get any rebuke ourselves when we read it. It's just a story about some jerk uh, prophet that didn't listen to God and he got, he got spanked real hard. And then uh, he went and prophesied to another people and said, you guys are going to fry in 40 days, and then got mad because they actually repented. And none of that portion of Scripture do we have to really uh, deal with anything because we're just reading a story about someone else that messed up and, and a city that was going to be destroyed but repented. So it's easy to read Jonah. But most of these prophets, it's not, it's not very easy to read. Malachi is another one. He, he has some very choice words but when we're reading this, we've got to understand there is difference that God makes. There's difference that God makes between His righteous ones that are doing it the best they know how with His grace and mercy and ones that have turned away. And the Lord just wants you to know what camp you're in. He just wants you to be aware of what camp you're in. If there's anything that has come to you tonight that has convicted you there's any transgression that the Lord has brought up to you, sin that He's brought up to you, bad attitudes can be sin. Doing things that we're not asking God about is, is sin. Uh, I, I want to go back and read Isaiah 30. I'm not going to, but there's, there's parts that, you know, if you, you want to write it down in your notes, read it later. Isaiah 30 is not easy to, to read. Uh, he, he lays it down. Man, there's, there's, thing, there's ways that we go. We don't even bother asking God whether or not we should do it. We just do stuff. That stuff is sin because we're people of God. We're here to obey Him. I'm going to move right into chapter 4 there in Malachi. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts. Then it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But, praise God, we have a conjunction here. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Now, can you can you see that? We know in the book of uh, Revelation, we know that one of those trumpets, or what was it, one of the vials, maybe one of the vials, one of those vials, those bowls of wrath, it's speaking of when we're in the temple, when we're in the tabernacle, and we go up to the brazen altar, the altar of judgment, they collect the blood of those animals in brazen bowls. These are the symbols of God's wrath. What, are the, what does the priest do with that blood? 
He pours it on the side of that same altar of judgment. And so when we're seeing those bowls of wrath in the book of Revelation, we're, we're looking all the way back into the Old Testament sacrificial system that, that God is pouring out. It, it, it's, it's bowls full of sacrificial blood, and it's poured upon the seat of judgment. And uh, we know that one of the times that he does it, he pours it out, an angel pours it out on the sun so that the sun will scorch men with heat. Anybody reading that? remember reading that in the book of Revelation? Praise God. Here, what we're seeing is, And that day shall burn as an oven. All the proud and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. That day cometh shall burn them up. And then he says, this is the amazing part. Then he says, But to you that fear his name... The sun of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. He's talking about some great fire burning up the wicked. And it could be he's talking about the days where the sun will scorch men with great heat. And then he says, but the sun for you is going to be the sun of righteousness. The, the very living God is going to arise in your life with healing. Praise you, Jesus, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves in the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the sole of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord. It's going to be so hot, it's going to burn people to ashes, and we're going to be walking right on top of those ashes. Ashes. We're going to... Sorry, that was a slip of the tongue. Forgive me for that. Ashes. We're going to walk right on that stuff. The same heat is going to affect us as affect them, but it's going to be healing to us, destruction to them. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for making distinction. I'm not going to turn back to, um, I'm not going to, turn back to Isaiah 30, uh, but I will turn back to Isaiah 54. Praise God. Everybody's still with me. Praise God. I know I've been teaching for a while. It's only about 8 o'clock. Can you hang out a few more minutes? Anybody? Nod. Hands up. Give me a wave. All right. A few more minutes. We're going to go through a few passages here in Isaiah 54. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word tonight, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that we are being reminded of who we turn to when we get overwhelmed. That there is a rock, a high rock, a mountain of strength, a mountain of stability in our life, Lord God, that we can go up to the mount of salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 54. I'm going to start off right in verse number 1. It says, Sing, O barren. Remember what David said about singing? I will sing praises. Why? Because it's going to literally give me the strength. It's going to help me to perform my vows unto the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I love this passage. He's, he's saying, strengthen the stakes of your tent. Brother Kyle Winans always talks about this passage. You know, uh, strengthen the, the, the stakes. What is he talking about? He's saying, you need to get a bigger house. And in this case, he's talking about a tent. He's like, you need to add material to your tent. You need to add an addition onto your house. In fact, you just take all the material you possibly can and get more, more room in your house because there is coming an increase. He says, sing, O Baron. Declare it for yourself. Praise God with your singing. And then he gives us a command. Enlarge the place of your tent. Make it bigger. Now, um, I, don't, I don't know if you understand when we, when we talk about things like the tent of Abraham. Like in uh, Genesis chapter 18, it says that uh, the Lord met with Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre. Now, we, we think that actually means the plains 
the, the plain area that, were, that we think that was a mistranslation out of the King James. But either way, Abraham met with the Lord and two angels at his tent. Now, you might think of a little camping tent that you take out you know, into the woods. We're not talking about a tent like that. We're talking about a tent that could be as large as like an acre of land almost. Maybe not quite as large as an acre, but you're talking a tent that can be pretty big. Pretty big so that, you know, there's lots of room in there. there there's lots of room. It's, it's like a movable palace. And uh, this is, this is you know, think of when Abraham was meeting with the Lord. He wasn't meeting just in this little pup tent. He was meeting in this this big, big place uh, with thick curtains and, and and you know kind of not a not a permanent dwelling. Obviously, it was a temporary dwelling. But this thing was plush. This thing was was not chintzy. It was it was not going to be something that's going to easily be blown away in the wind. You know. So he's sitting there saying, "Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand." And on the left. So don't just build an addition on the right. Build an addition on the left too. Build an addition out back. Praise God. And thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt, not for, uh, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. Oh my God, this is a this is a verse for us folks. Come on, let's just let's just pray this thing in. Lord God, I will not remember the shame of my youth. I will not remember my widowhood. I am part of the bride of Christ. I am a child of God. I have the earnest of my inheritance. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I proclaim in the name of Jesus the breaking of shame over your people. The breaking of the shame of our youth in the name of Jesus. All oh, those things that have come into our life that have caused shame and have, have, have uh, ordered the steps of our life every day since. Lord God, we break that cycle in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, and I thank you for it. I declare it. I proclaim it over your people in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's, let's get into the rest of this. An everlasting kindness is what my uh, little title says in my Bible that I'm reading out of tonight. An everlasting kindness. Beginning in verse number 5. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer... The Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment I have forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment. But with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that, uh, sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted. Behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires. Earlier he is saying, enlarge your tent. And now he's talking about a permanent dwelling. He's talking about something that is made of precious stones. He's talking about stuff that is made with um, very immovable, very hard to break very precious stones. He's saying, listen, I'm going gonna, 
I will lay thy stones with fair colors. In other words, they will be bright with all these rainbow colors and lay thy foundations with sapphires. And I will make thy windows of agates and thy gates of carbuncles and all thy borders of pleasant stones. Folks, when we're talking about that new Jerusalem and we're talking about all the precious stones that make up its foundation, its walls, walls of jasper, streets of gold, and all these wonderful things, notice what he's saying there. Notice, I mean, uh, the Apostle John, you know, everything he writes in Revelation has a tie-in to these Old Testament prophecies. We see that he, see, he says that like a bride adorned, Unto her husband, we see her coming out of the heavens, and he's calling it the new Jerusalem. Here, we're talking about a bride, aren't we? We're talking about a bride. That's what he's talking about here. For, for thy maker is thine husband. Amen? He's talking about a bride, and then he's going to say, I, I'm laying your foundation, and I'm making your windows and your gates of all these precious stones. Yeah, he's talking about the same thing John's talking about. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Verse 13, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. In righteousness thou shalt be established, thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Hallelujah! I'm claiming that. I'm claiming that along with Psalm 91. This terror by day and this, or, or this, this, this fear by night, this will not come near me. Verse 15, Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. And then it gets interesting here, right at the end of this chapter, it gets very interesting. Behold, I, after all this wonderful stuff the Lord has prophesied to us and proclaimed to us, He says, Behold, I have created the smith, that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. You're my bride, you're my child, you, you are my precious one, and I have all kinds of things. I'm going to build you up. It's not just a place for us to live. I want you to think about this. This flesh here a couple of times in the New Testament is called the Akaturion. It's, it's our temporary, uh, this is an oxymoron, but it's our permanent temporary dwelling. <laughs> you know, we know that this is the Ohel in Hebrew. This is the, it's not the Mishkan. The Mishkan in Hebrew is the tabernacle, but the Ohel, uh, this flesh that we live in, that's the tent. It's just a tent. It's, it's supposed to be temporary, but we have this Akaturion it's like a mansion, it's a room, it's a place, it's a more permanent dwelling place. And we know that we're going to get glorified bodies. And he promises us this. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms, many apartments, many mansions, whatever translation you're reading. There's going to be much room there for you. And so we often think of the natural city with natural mansions and palaces and all that. But we're, we're elevating this up into the spirit where we've already been told that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen? The Holy Spirit. So we're talking about a glorified, not just body, but a glorified being, a glorified self in the name of Jesus. But he says, you know, how I'm going to do this is I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to let some dude come along and start hammering on you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let some guy thrust you into the fire. and I'm going to let him bring, uh, make weapons to destroy and to waste. And, I mean, you think about it. You know, what, what does a sculpture do? A sculpture takes this huge block of stone or marble or even metal or wood. But let's just think about a nice big block of marble, very expensive piece of stone. And what that sculpture does is he gets an image in his mind. He gets an image in his mind of what he wants to make out of that block of marble. And some people say he's not making the statue. The statue's always been inside. All he's doing is removing the unnecessary pieces. That's really all he's doing. He's just chipping away 
all the stuff that is not needed until the image can come forth. And this is what the, the Lord is doing. It, it becomes very interesting when we see the enemy this way, that the Lord is using him as a sculptor. He's using him as a blacksmith. He's using him as, as a maker. He's just chiseling off the things that we don't need. He's, you know, and it sometimes can get very overwhelming for us. It can get very distressful for us where we come into places where we lose things. We lose precious things. But the Lord is saying, I need you to lose what is precious to you so that you can gain what is precious to me. He says, when I make up my jewels, isn't that, he said that in Malachi as well, didn't he? He says, when I make up my jewels, he's like, I'm taking precious things away from you so that I can give you precious things that I consider precious. And it's like we're trapped in a block of marble and uh, a sculptor comes along with his hammers and his chisels and, his, and his, his grinders and all the different tools that they use. All he's doing is taking away all the unnecessary bits. And at the very end of it all, it takes out a polishing cloth. It goes from coarse to fine to very, very fine. And he polishes that thing up to a high sheen. We are being made into the image of Christ, folks. We are being made into the image of our Lord. And we need a devil. I know this sounds weird to say it this way. We need a devil to chip off the unnecessary bits. We don't know everything. We don't have it all figured out. Those of you who think you have it all figured out, you're wrong. You don't. We need Jesus every single day. Those of you who th think that you've matured enough and come far enough along and now you know the way to go. You don't really need... Uh, it, hey, listen, if, if I'm talking to you and it hurts, then say thank you, Jesus, anyway, because this is yet, yet another chip that needs to be knocked off our shoulder. Any kind of pride or self-righteousness in our life needs to be chiseled off and the Lord will let a devil come and chisel it off. And we should say, thank you, Jesus. Somebody smile at me. We should say, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. He says, behold, I'm going to read verse 16 one more time. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals and the fire, that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. For I have created the waster to destroy and we know this verse. If there's any verse in chapter 54, we know it's this one. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. In other words, the devil might be trying to kill you, but the weapons he's bringing against you will never kill you. Oh, he'll hurt you. He'll chip stuff off you, but he's never going to get a chance to kill you. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage. Earlier we see King David said, I have a heritage of those that fear the Lord. He says, This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm going to read just another couple of verses in chapter 55. The very next one we, we see in... Verse number 3, very clearly, Incline your ear, come unto me, here and your souls shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Now we're coming full circle here tonight. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and a commander of the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel. For he hath glorified thee. Seek Ye the Lord, while he may be found, call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thank you, Jesus. We could go on. There's a lot of good stuff in 55. We're going to close it down there. God is so good, folks. We're talking about the mercy of God. But you know what? The mercy of God cannot be absent from the judgment of God. When God is glorifying us, we cannot be absent from the devil. We see even in the book of Romans, Paul talks about um, how the, you know, 
he, we need to mark those that cause divisions and all these different things. And he says, but the God of peace will put Satan under your feet shortly. Remember that scripture out of Romans chapter 16? You know, we see that Paul says in another place, there's a great and effectual door open, but our adversaries are many. I might not be quoting these scriptures just right because I don't have them right in front of me, but the idea is sound. Every time a door opens, the devil's going to be there to try to challenge us. Every time. We said this in a few weeks past, few months past. When the Holy Ghost starts moving, the devil starts moving. But we're not here to be afraid of the devil, folks. That's not, that's not the point. We're here to fear the Lord. Amen? Our heritage is those that fear the Lord. And our heritage is that we will be the righteous ones of God. We will rise in condemnation against those that are trying to destroy us with their tongues. Any tongue that rises against you, we will actually condemn them. According to Isaiah 54. Folks, this is good news tonight. I know I really haven't done much in the New Testament. We just went through a bunch of Old Testament scripture. We're used to hearing the good news as the gospel of Jesus Christ, but whether you knew it or not, we have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight. We have heard the good news. We might get overwhelmed, but let it lead you to the rock, folks. We might come up against the wall, but let it turn your face against the wall and cry out to God. You know, we, we might get to a place where the devil's hammering on us, but let it make you into the image of Christ. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just pray here? For a few minutes before we cut out, Lord God, I pray over your people and I proclaim over your people tonight, Lord God, that this word will settle into their hearts and their minds and their spirits. Lord God, that they will understand by the Holy Ghost, by the Spirit of the living God, that you have not come to destroy us, but you have come to make us. You are our maker. Our maker is our husband. Lord God, let this word settle into our hearts and minds. I see Oh, Lord God, let this word just settle down deeply and begin to do its work. Lord God, you even told us in the parable of the sower that it's the word that will, the, the persecutions that will arise from the word is compared to the sun. But let us remember Malachi chapter 4, that even while the sun burns some people up, it, it rises with healing for us, Lord God. So I, Lord God, receive and proclaim the healing word of God, that when the sun arises, when that persecution arises, because of the word, Lord God, that it would only bring healing. It would only bring making. It would only bring permanence to our glorification, oh God. I, I love you tonight. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your word. I thank you for these people, Lord God, that have come out to join with us. Lord God, even, even the several of them that are not feeling very well, Lord God, we pray again, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to have a full understanding of the seeds of our life right now, that we are in the time of reward. Our reward is our making. Lord God, thank you, Jesus, for making us more like you. Folks, we love you tonight. We thank you for hanging out with us for a long time. 